Well, this morning we're having two people going to be sharing with us. I've known both of them for years. I don't know how many years it's been. I'm not going to count. Probably over 17 years or so. It's been a long time. And, uh, you know, Danny, who's going to be speaking up last, you know him. He does the music here. He's been a blessing to us. I've known him since, uh, again, his kids were little and my kids were little and they'd hang out. I remember one time specifically we invited his son Tristan over for a birthday party or something all nighter, New Year's Eve. And our kids didn't go to sleep. And I remember the next day, Danny says, what did you do to my son? <laughs> and then from then on, I don't think he's ever gone to sleep again. So it, sorry about that. It's the Scotty way. Uh, but he's been a blessing again in my life and again to our community. And John, I've known John for, gosh, as many years. John was heading up the high school group for so many years and has been an inspiration to so many I know a few people, many of you know Eric Flores. Eric Flores really was uh, prompted to step into more of a ministry life through John and his ministry there uh, when he was sitting under John. And I know other people. I remember going on a, a trip over into Europe, into Wales with uh, Richard, a guy named Richard. I can't remember his last name. Do you remember Richard's last name? Skater, professional skater. Mulder. Richard Mulder. He was a professional skater, and I remember talking to him for that week that he was there, him talking about John and the impact that John made on his life. And so it's so great to see as someone is moved by God that they are able to move others. And I remember sharing with John once before, John, the fruit of what you've done is, is lasting. And so we're going to be blessed this morning to hear from John. John, where are you? Come on up. Morning. Let me uh, settle in here. All right. Well, uh, first of all, I want to introduce myself. Thank you, Sammy. Love you, man. And um, uh, my beautiful wife, Tammy, um, my son, Mitchell, my uh, niece, Audrey, and where's my daughter? So my, see, my daughter cut out. I told her I was going to be talking about her this morning, so she, my daughter, Emily, so um very blessed uh, to have the family that I have. And um, sayings affect our lives. You know, we, we hear them, and, and whether it's a motivational saying, like um, uh, one of the first things I heard as a, uh, working in a restaurant was the five Ps. Yeah. There's six, but I won't say there's five. Prior planning prevents piss poor. Prior planning prevents poor performance. That's the five piece. Um, in in sports, you hear the only thing you can control is your effort. True, right? Another good one: tell the truth all the time, and you never have to remember what you said. Right, right. Okay, good. Another good one. I don't swim in your toilet, so please don't pee pee in my pool. Very good, right? <laughs> so these sayings can affect our lives. They, they, they can, you know, kind of move us in, in certain directions, but there's nothing that will change us like God's Word because it's alive. 
And we can read something, as you all know, one day that verse can mean something to you, and then two months later, five years, ten years later, it's totally something else. And um, picking a favorite verse or something that has changed my life and thinking through it, um, uh, I kept coming back to the same thing, and it's the story of the prodigal son. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I lift it to you. I thank you for this incredible story of this love for, for, from this father to his son and, and what the son goes through and how he comes to the end of himself, Lord. So we, uh, we pray that you would speak through us, uh, through this verse this morning, Lord. Have your way with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And he said, a man had two sons. The youngest of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the son gathered everything together and went on a, a long journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he'd spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. So he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the paws that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father. And will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a, a ring on his hands and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and now he has come alive again. He's lost, and now he's been found. And they began to celebrate. I promised Denise Gideon I wasn't going to cry this morning. I haven't even read the verse. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right. Well, my story began in a land far, far away, in a time that my kids called the Dark Ages. No cell phones, no computers, no real form of communication. We actually had to go door to door and knock on someone's door to see if they wanted to play, you know. And the land was called Chino. <laughs> um, it was real interesting. The neighborhood we grew up in, I had a lot of friends my age, and um, uh, we did everything together. You know, baseball and baseball season, football and football season, bat, you know, the whole thing. Um, and it was interesting because there was this, uh, this church bus used to come down our street on Sunday mornings. Old beat-up bus. And um, 
one of the kids across the street, he started to go. The bus would, he'd waved him down. I don't know how it happened. And can you imagine that today? Picking up a, a 10-year-old kid and, I mean, but, you know, it was the dark ages. So anyways, he started to go and then pretty soon there was like five, six of us that were going to, to this church. And it was a Baptist church and maybe half a mile away, but... Um, I began to go and to go, and I remember one day the, 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 I, I felt myself standing up and walking down the aisle at the, at the invitation. And that was my first experience with God. And the reason I'm saying that story is because God enters our lives at different stages to, get our, to, let, to let us know He's there and to get our attention. And He first introduced Himself to me then. And it, it changed me. I, I, felt, I, I, I felt him. I, I didn't know anything about the Bible. But I, be, I began to go, and pretty soon my friends started dropping off. They were going, and I was the only one that was getting on the bus. But that didn't last very long. My parents weren't going, and I, I don't know if the bus broke down or what happened. But, um, it did, but yet God was there. Um, in... 1975, my folks got divorced. I was 11 years old. Uh, my dad was really involved with um, sports with me, Little League, and um, very devastating to me, um, as it would be with anyone. Um, at that point, I dove into sports fully. I mean, I, I mean, I was playing something every day, chasing kids down around the neighborhood and Whatever I could, I, I loved it. I, I loved the, 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 the praise I got from it, I guess, the uh, acceptance, you know. And, and I, I, I was above average, you know. I, I loved it, and, and I, I gained things from it, and it helped me forget about what was going on. Um, but through all that, I, as I began high school, I was really arrogant about it. I began, began to be um, full of myself. I don't know what else to say, cocky, whatever you want to say, you know. All the guys you see on ESPN, that was me then. <laughs> um, and I really didn't like my, uh, I really didn't like authority. I, I, I knew it all, you know, like my son knows it all now. I knew it all then. Thank you. And um, so, you know, I, and I didn't mind letting people know it, you know. And, um, and I, I, I guess I was seeking, you know, looking back on it, I, 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 was, I was really seeking someone to, to knock me down. And I, I found that man. It was my freshman baseball coach. And what he did to me was, was the best thing that could ever have happened to me. He kicked me off the team. I was probably the best player on the team, but he didn't care about that. He cared about me. And so he gave me the boot. And um, it made me think about how I tr what, what was really important to me. And it gave me a new respect for the, the, the men that were coaching me, the teachers that I had, um, because I was really seeking a dad. So I, I buckled up, and I made the varsity team as a sophomore, which is kind of unheard of, you know, even in the dark ages. And so, um, and I really liked my coach, and um, I, I just 
fully engulfed myself into, in, into what was happening there at school. I got into ASB. I got into a lot of different things, but um, really still seeking direction and, and a dad. And I met a guy on the, on the baseball team that year, and his name was Barry Graham. Everybody liked Barry. Um, and he was a believer. There was something different about him. I didn't know at the time why he, or what he was, but I knew he was different. And now he was friends with everyone, but he never went out with these other guys, okay, these juniors and seniors, since I was a couple years younger than him. But he took to me, and I, I, I really am grateful for that. I really don't know why. Um, but um, the reason I bring Barry up is because a couple years later, after he was already out of high school, I ran into him, and he invited me to church. And with that invitation, I thought about it. I didn't go, and then... Um, it was about three weeks after the day he had invited me, I, I showed up. Well, well, God had an appointment with me that day, and, and I kept it, thank God. And, um, and, and the passage was this story right here. It was on the, the, the and Jesus, when he was telling this, this parable, he was telling it to the leaders of the church at the time, and he, he, he chooses three, three um, people that, we're not highly esteemed. He chooses a shepherd. Well, we know by the story of Jesus' birth, shepherds were not, you know, I mean, they, they were not high on the hierarchy, okay? They were lower class people, but Jesus says, God's like a shepherd. What? You know, that was shocking to these guys at the time. Well, we know that women are, were, were um, lower class at the time, and... Um, not very highly esteemed as well. The second story he tells, God's like a woman. What? Are you kidding me? You know, I could just, you could just hear these guys just clinching up when he's telling these stories about these, the lost sheep, the lost coin. And then the last one he says, God's like a father, a, disgra a disgraced father because his son has the gall to come to him and ask him for his inheritance, something that never happened until the father would die. And, and you, you think about the story, and from, from, a, from a son's standpoint, we turn our back on God and we go, and he, he lets us go. Because there's the lessons to be learned that we'll never forget. As a dad, especially now having two kids, my gosh, I want to control everything. I mean, I, you know, who are you talking to? What are you going to? Where are you going? You know what I mean? I, it, it, and then reading what God does with us here, it's like, oh my gosh, it's like He just kind of. But I'm 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 grateful for. His direction, of course, in our lives like that, that He lets us go. But more than that, He's looking for me every day to go like this, to turn back. Seeking, seeking, seeking throughout our lives. He, he never stops. We're the ones that change the relationship. You know, we're the ones that decide that we're going to do these things right now because these things are more important to us. 
but he never stops. That's our God. And, and that's, that's our dad here. When I received this message, I didn't fellowship there long. I, I started going to college, and as we know, that if we're not in fellowship and in the Word like that, especially being a new, you know, new believer, it, it didn't last long, and I, I, I got off. I got off the path, and I, I, I went to that far-off land, you know. And when I did come to my senses and come back, like I'm sure a few of us have, boy, I was practicing that speech, you know. Lord, I promise all there. Lord, you know, all the way back. But yet, when he saw me and ran to me, he didn't let me finish my speech. With, which I'm sure he does with a lot of us. He cleaned me up. He hugged me. You ever been hugged by God? You know, he hugs us in many ways, but... Boy, when you run to him like that... And sometimes he hugs us through others, too. But... Hugged me, cleaned me up, even though I was smelling like pig poo. Had nothing at all to offer. See, the thing what happens too is when we leave him and walk away, we take all the blessings that he's given us with us too. I mean, we take those talents and gifts that he has to offer other people. Um, like when Sam had mentioned a few of these things earlier, gosh, to hear that is just very humbling. All right, man, I'm getting it together here. He has a plan for all of us. Gifts, talents. Ways that we can speak to people, approach people. Ways that we can communicate with people that nobody else on this planet can and with our back turned to him, he, he, wants to, he wants to get those things through, but he can't. And so, you know, um, I would encourage you this morning, if, if for some reason your back is to him right now, it just takes a turn. It just takes a turn. There's nothing there but love. There's nothing there but acceptance. We can't find that in the human world. We, we can only find that with God because... When we do damage, we don't often get that from human beings. But we do get that from God every single time. And then he helps us with those relationships with the human beings so that we can repair. Right? Um, as I mentioned uh, earlier, as a, as a father now, I can't imagine my son coming to me and saying, uh, Hey, Dad, uh, you know, I know you work hard, but um, really you're dead to me now. I need the keys for the truck. I'd like to have, you know, my... I mean, can you imagine? I, I, I can't fathom him saying that. And then after he regains consciousness, 
And I take his cell phone, turn off the computer, get the Facebook, the Xbox. Let me see if I missed anything. No. Twitter. Oh, yeah, go to your room. No. Um, I, I, can't, I can't imagine him saying that. I, I, I can't imagine um, God being able to do that with us. But I think he, he, sees, the, he sees what will happen and... And um, he balances his love with discipline with us. I've definitely learned what uh, unconditional love is as a father. And through this passage, I, I can see that this, fa- this father in the story, he, he doesn't care that his son's totally disgraced him in his community. You know, he, he, he could care less about that. He doesn't even care that it's not cool to lift up your robe and run to your son when you see him. He don't care about that. See, God doesn't care about those things in our lives. He just wants us. He doesn't care that he blew all his money. He doesn't care about any of those things that happened to him. He doesn't ask him one question about where he was. He doesn't ask him about what he did. All he does is hug and kiss him. And then he calls in the other guys and says, hey, we're celebrating. Because once was lost is now found. And that's exactly what God wants to do. He wants to restore. And that's what he's waiting to do this morning. And like I mentioned earlier, all it takes is a turn. God bless you guys. Well, good morning again. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much, Father, that you truly stretch out your hand, Father, that you seek us, that you, Father, hunt us, Father, that you continually seek to draw us close to you. And Father, we're so thankful, Father, that even with us not knowing, you know, and that gives us great comfort. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would just be edified today. Father, as we speak about how rich and how great you are in our lives, we ask that you continue to pour it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn into your Bible to Matthew uh, chapter 14, if you will. There is a passage that came to my life that really honestly changed me. I grew up a Christian, um, well, went, went to church. I thought I was a Christian. Went to church from a young age. My parents were both deacons and elders in the uh, Baptist church growing up in the South. And I was at church every moment of every day that I can remember as a young, young child. So I had a lot of involvement in church and just, you know, being there all the time. Um, my grandmother... Most of the visions I have of her are her on her knees or watching PTL, praise the Lord, and having a Bible open. If she wasn't cooking for us, she was, you know, praying and studying the Word of God. It was amazing. I mean, the childhood that I grew up in was truly phenomenal. And when I was 13 years old, I was um, sitting up at First Baptist Church in in, uh, Jacksonville, Florida. You know, we had our Sunday school class, and then we all go into the main you know, fellowship with your family. 
And that day, I don't remember what the pastor was speaking on or anything like that, but I remember that he was, God was speaking directly to me. And I remember we were up in the very top of the balcony, and I turned to my dad that day, and I said, Dad, I need to go down there. I need to go down there. My dad you know, turned and looked, and he was you know, overwhelmed, and you know, the Spirit of God was moving, and it was, it was an awesome thing. And I went down there and dedicated my life at 13 years old. And the reason I know I was 13 years old is because that night you get baptized in a Baptist church. So you dedicate in the morning, you're going to get baptized that night, Sunday night. You know, they have the thing up in the back and all that kind of stuff. So I didn't know what I was doing at that time, but that was part of what it was. Well, that night, you know, pastor comes around, we're all standing up there and he's like, well, how old are you? You know, and I was like, I'm 12. And then he went to the next guy and I went, I mean, I'm 13, I'm 13, I'm 13. Anyway, so I remember that very vividly that part of my life. So, but from then on, you know, um, my parents moved from Jacksonville, Florida down to Orlando, um, as my mom was moving up in the corporate world. And we kind of went to church hit and miss from then on out. And so I really didn't go to church as much. I wasn't as plugged in. I wasn't as involved. My parents weren't as involved in the local church as they were in North Carolina and then in, in, uh, Jacksonville. So, um, you know, you kind of fall away. Well, when I was 16 years old or so, my parents got a divorce. Um, and I went to live with my dad. And, you know, the world changed. Everything changes when that happens. Um, and I got into music. I was into music, playing the saxophone at, you know, sixth grade or whatever. And um, I wasn't very good at it. That's why I don't play it now. But, uh, you know, so I've been involved in music, and that was kind of my refuge. You know, I was really, you know... Um, part of, that was my, that was my sanctuary. That was where I went. But um, when I was about 17 years old, I was in a little rock and roll band and we decided that we were going to move to Hollywood and we were going to be the next Van Halen. Back in the dark ages, Van Halen, big shows, fun stuff. Um, And I did that. At 17 years old, I quit school and um, right before I turned 18, we had a show booked at, you know, in Hollywood, and I moved. And, uh, you know, I told my mom, although she has a different version of the story, I told her several times that I was moving, and we went ahead and moved to uh, Hollywood. There were seven of us, uh, four guys in the band, and just some friends that came along. So we started our trek, you know, and I was, you know, probably one of the only people in the world who were, well, I don't know about that, but I was a, a, a very different uh, rock and roll guy as I, I didn't do drugs I didn't drink I've never you know drank or anything like that and so I was kind of the goody two-shoe guy in the band or whatever which was great because I was always the one that could drive and do whatever but you know um that meant I hauled equipment around when everybody else was gone which was fine with me but you know as as we started that life as I started that life and I started playing and you know going after my dream I mean I I specifically remember you know, in, you know, Lakeland, Florida, watching Van Halen do Unchained, that was their opening number for their night, and I was like, that's what I'm going to do with my life. That's, that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be, that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, I really started to pursue that and, and try my best to make that happen in my life. And when I got out to Hollywood and we started to get into the scene and do what we needed to do, um, you know, it wasn't all that I thought it was going to be. I mean, I absolutely adored being on the stage and having fun and singing and doing what I liked to, liked to do, but I absolutely hated everything else. I mean, I didn't drink, I didn't party, I didn't go all do all that stuff, so I mean, you're kind of like a fish out of water, you know? So, 
you know, I would go into the dressing room before we go on and I would pray and I would, you know, God, you know, bless this and all that kind of stuff. And then I would go up on stage and I can't even watch the videos because I only knew one word when I wasn't singing and it wasn't a good word. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, how can you be like trying to seek after God and so far away? But, you know, God knows just like uh, John was sharing. He's seeking after us. He's knowing. And I had that handprint and that touch on my life. All through that time, and I would, I would lay in bed at night, you know, ears ringing and, you know, leather pants stains on my, pant, on my, on my legs because, you know, that's what they do. And um, I'd be laying there going, is this it? This is what I, this is it? But, you know, we were doing what we needed to do and I was very busy. And uh, March 30th, 1990, around that time or so, um, well, it was before that, but right around the early 1990s, our band got signed to dem- uh, do a demo deal with MCA. So we were on our way. We had management, we were recording, we were doing everything. I mean, I was at the peak of what I thought was going to be the next step to moving on with my life. But I was really empty and not totally satisfied. And as I was out promoting for our big show, and they're all big shows, um, I met a group of girls that were you know, walking up and down um, the Sunset Boulevard there, and Melissa, my wife, happened to be there that night. And we didn't talk, we didn't say anything other than hi or whatever. She was with some people that I supposedly knew. I still don't know people's names, but that was part of my MO there too. But, um, you know, I met her and I, I just, you know, hi, what's going on? And when I left that night, I was sitting on Sunset Boulevard right where Tower Records used to be, and God spoke to me right then and said, that's the girl you're going to marry. And I remember arguing with God. <laughs> not now. Not now. I'm, I'm right where I need to be. This is what I need to be doing. I'm not ready for this. And um, the story goes on later that she said the same thing to her girlfriend. She turned around and walked up. She said, that's the man I'm going to marry. Now that's God. Well, sometime, so, you know, we had the big show. That was the night we started dating, March 30th, 1990. Um, Melissa and I started dating that, that day. Um, she hated the band, by the way. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, and, uh, you know, I started to get into a, a routine that I liked. Um, Melissa was so strong. Uh, Tristan was two years old at the time, and she was the type of woman that was all about her kid. You know, and I remember very vividly her telling me, listen, you know, I want forever. You know, so if you're not for real and this is just a little thing, I'm not interested. You need to make sure you commit to me because it's more than me. You, you get Tristan as well. And I remember, you know, praying and talking to God and saying, is this what I want? Is this what's going on? And very vividly, yes, I want to do this. And we started dating really, really seriously at that point. Um, about this time, I'm going to make this quick because there's a lot to it, but about this time, uh, she invited me to go to church. She's like, hey, let's go out to Harvest, you know. And I was like, okay, great, let's go. I like church, let's go. And we went to Harvest on a Sunday night where they have the bands playing. And um, I remember going into that place, you know, just, you know, normal in my life. I'm playing in the band. We've got shows coming up. We're recording. We're doing all these things. I was super busy. We were playing three or four shows, you know, a week or whatever. And we stopped in church and and... Melissa and I were sitting there, I remember it like it was yesterday, and watching this band play, and as, 
as powerful as it could possibly be, I felt God's hand on my shoulder and felt him saying, this is what I have for you. As I'm watching these people with their hands raised high and, you know, the band playing their song, God was there with me. And he was saying, this is what I have for you. This is what I have. And it touched me. I mean, it touched me in an amazing way because I was so involved in how I was going and there was other people counting on me. And now, what does this mean? How do we change this? How do we take this? How do I, what do I do with this information, God? And over several months, you know, we kept going to the church and stuff, and, and I ended up rededicating my, my life there. And um, there was a night that I was up in our band's lockout, and I was sitting there waiting on everyone. And it was quiet, and there was no cell phones back in the dark ages. Not that I could afford anyway, and I think they were like this big at that time. <laughs> But um, we were sitting up there, and I was just waiting for the band to get there. We were supposed to be in practice and, and stuff like that. And God, very, as audible in your heart and in your mind as it could possibly be, says to me, this is what you want. As I sat there, upset, empty, not satisfied with what he was doing, or what I was doing in music and everything, he said, is this what you want? And I said, no. No, this isn't, this isn't what I want. This isn't, this isn't where I want to be, God. And so very, like, prompted on the movie stage, the drummer walks in, and I just told him, look, I'm done. He's like, what? We've got all this going on. I'm done. What's going on? Well, I, I, I've got different plans now. God's going to meet me. And I, I'm done. And then very romantically, I went home that night. My wife and I were living together. She's my girlfriend at the time. I said, hey, woke, wake up, you know, and um, get up. I quit the band tonight. She's like, what? And I said, and we're going to get married. Uh, that was romance, huh? I'm like, get up. What? What? You know, it's 12 o'clock at night. You know, I can't even watch those shows where the guys do all this prep work and all this. I'm like, oh, I'm such a scumbag. But... <laughs> That's just where I was at the time. So um, it's like, look, let's get serious. That's how I am. Let's just go. But, you know, God started really showing up. And I remember as, you know, her dad said, you know, if you guys want a nice wedding and all that kind of stuff, you know, we can wait a year and all that. And Melissa and I were like, wait a year? I mean, you know, we're living together. We got, you know, Tristan's, our, you know, three years old at the time. You know, we, we don't need to wait. We need to honor God. We need to follow God. We need to do what God wants us to do. And in this time, you know, I started reading the scriptures, and this scripture came up. And, you know, I started in Matthew, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I've got all the way to chapter 14 before something grabbed me. I mean, where it really said, come, come on. And right here in this verse is where the scriptures came alive. It's uh, Matthew 14, 25. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. 
And he said, come. And when Peter had got down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now that night, I remember reading this. I remember being kind of in the, I guess you would call it a master bedroom of a Hollywood apartment. But the other bedroom that wasn't the little one, reading this scripture. And I remember coming to Melissa and saying, look at this, look at this, look at what this is saying. And to me, it was saying, step out of the life that you're in and trust me. Because I was scared. I mean, I moved 3,000 miles away to go this way. And now I have no real job, no way to support a family, no way to do this kind of stuff. What am I going to do? This was, I, I went all in this way. And now I'm going to step out of this life I'm going to step out of this situation and I'm going to move to Upland and go a completely different direction and be a dad instantly and a husband instantly with no job and no way to do things. But God said to me, come, come. And I remember him saying, this is what I have for you. This is what I have for you. Come. Scripture comes alive for us in so many different ways. I mean, this is just one way where God has told me, where you go, I'll go. I mean, that's us singing to God, but God saying, I'm there with you where you are, and I'll meet you in the miry clay in whatever situation, no matter how stinky you are, I will meet you, I will take you, I will touch you, I will keep you, trust in me. But you know, he does. And I mean, many of you guys know our life's journey. I mean, we've been up and down and separated and back together and to Georgia and to back. And I mean, all this time, God is the constant. God is faithful. God is good. God says, come. No matter where you are in your walk, no matter what's going on, come to me. He's so faithful. He's so good. He's so incredible. Where you go, I'll go. Stepping out of all that we know, all that we've worked for to follow God can be a scary thing. But I tell you, there's been some times when in leading in worship that the Spirit of God was so overwhelming to me and He said, you see, I was so satisfied. I was so in his will. And he said, see? And it's those moments that we seek after, that we come to know this is where I need to pursue. This is where I need to go. This is how I need to seek after God. And those talents and those gifts and those abilities that he's given us, when we actually give it back to him and we're faithful to do that, it's an overwhelming feeling. It's an overwhelming thing. And you know, God is in control of every step that we have. Even when we're stepping away, he's, controlling, he's, he's, he's allowing us to go so that He can bring us back or so that we can taste and see what that thing is that we desired so much. And then we can taste and see what God has and how good it is for us and how satisfying it is to our souls. It's so amazing to me that God seeks after us like this. It's so amazing to me that God cares so much for me. This little old guy who, you know, wanted to sing and, you know, be David Lee Roth, heaven forbid. 
But he says, no, I have something so much more satisfying for you. Something so lasting and so good. And not only did he give me the desire of my heart as for you know, music and being able to share and worship and get excited about what God is doing. But I got the whole package, you know, the, the wife and the kids and the whole thing. And God still works in us and still moving and still has things for us to, to go after and to seek after. And he still says, come. To me today, he says, come. Step out of where you're comfortable and step into what I have for you. And I, I think it's amazing, even here at Genesis, you know, this is what we've done here, you know, come, step into this, it's, step into this, it's going to be different, it's going to be not what you're used to sometimes, but follow me. And as we sing that song, I'm, I'm so glad that Tony sang that song today, where you go, I'll go, whom you serve, I'll serve. Whom you love, I'll love. I'll follow you. You know, that's really the desire of my heart. As he says, come, I will go there. Except for Georgia. I'm done with that. <laughs> it's the only thing I think about. I was like, I don't think I want to move. I think we're right here where we need to be, which is praise God. Amen. Um, my wife's like, yeah. So, but you know, I mean, would I again? Yes, I would. Will you go where he asks you to go? Will you come when he says come? Will I do it? You bet. Even if I don't understand because all he has for us is good. All he has for us. He says, you know, when you seek after me, I'll give you the desires of your heart. And sometimes we don't know what those desires are. We want this or we go after this way, but God has like this, this, this perfect peace that we find in glimpses and moments of the chaos of our life that we, we can see and we reflect back and we look and see what God is doing and just go, wow. You just look back and you say, wow, that's God's fingerprint. That's God's handprint. That's God showing up. That's God's leading us. That's God's turning us back. That's God's letting us out on that rope so far and then saying, are you sure? Is this really what satisfies you or do you want me? Oh, wow, God, I want you. Yeah, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. But God is so good. So will you come today? Will you come to whatever he's asking you? Will you be bold and step out of that boat? Because there's things in all of our lives that God's saying, I want that. Come this way. I say trust him. Father God, we thank you so much for this time, Lord. We thank you so much that through passages of scriptures that come alive to us. Father, we can find peace. We can find joy. We can find strength. We can find comfort. Father, your scripture comes alive because you are alive and alive in us. Father, I'm excited so much to be able to call you my God and my Savior, and yet I have nothing to offer you. But you desire us. You desire me. Father, I pray for those today who want to step into you more. Father, I pray for those who desire to step into you more. Father, as each one of us gives our passages, bring passages to everyone's life today that comes alive. 
Lord, we love you. We give you this time. We thank you so much for it. Father, we pray that you would bless. And again, we just lift up little Natalie, Lord. As, uh, that just breaks my heart. But Father, you are in it. And we pray, Lord, that you would just do what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.